today I want to talk about this Christian terminology. Uh, it's called apologetics. Um, it's a defense of the gospel or what we believe. And uh, how many know the scripture says that we should give an answer? We should be able to give an answer to what we believe. And, and so I think it's important for us to continue to look at that. But also today being April Fool's Day and much of what culture says about Christianity, oh, I, I can't believe you believe that this guy died and rose from the dead. What a fairy tale. I can't believe you believe it's empty tomb, that angels rolled a stone away. I can't, what a fairy tale. I can't believe you believe that old book that was written by multiple people over hundreds of years. I can't believe that you put your life on that. And so we have these people like, you know, coming at and, and, and say, but there's so much truth to all of those things. We're going to look at that today. We're going to look at the truth of it. And so what I actually want to say to you this morning, maybe you're somebody who's here searching and maybe you're here who's somebody who's really not fully given yourself to walking with God, I would say it like this. There's times in your life where you hear rumors of something or you heard of something and then you hear the truth. And when you hear that truth, you usually make a change, right? right. Oh yeah, I heard that and I thought that. But then when that person showed me the truth or told me the truth, it caused me to then live different. Amen. And my prayer is that every time we look at scripture and God tells us the truth or shows us the truth through his word, that we go, you know what? I need to take this truth and make a change. Amen. And so I believe this morning as you hear things and we, we talk about the things of God, I believe that it's going to cause us to, to be firm in our foundation of what we believe in God. Amen. Amen. A couple things I want to throw out to you. I'm going to go really fast, and I did a terrible job in the first service. That's why you didn't have any parking when you were here, because I went too long. But I'm uh, going to try to get all this in as fast as I can, but I wanted to let you know this. Colleges have semesters about apologetics, and I'm going to try to give you my best in 30 minutes, okay? And so I'm going to give you a little bit of extra reading. Uh, if you really like this stuff or you want to keep digging for the truth, there's a couple really great books uh, even recent books that kind of have to do with like what culture is saying and then, and then these truths. So a few things I want to throw out. Uh, Dr. Rabbi Zacharias, he's got two books that you should look up. One is called Jesus Among Other Gods, essentially how the gospel holds up to other religions. And then another one is called The End of Reason, The End of Reason. And then another guy is called Frank Turek. You can look him up online. Uh, he's on Facebook, got a bunch of great ministry, uh, but he's got two really great books. One is called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be Atheist. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be Atheist and Stealing from God is the other book that he has. Uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be Atheist is interesting because uh, it goes into this thing of it actually takes more faith to not believe in God. It takes more faith to not believe in God than it does to believe in God because we have proofs, we have history, we ha and we'll get to it. <laughs> and then another one here is called, uh, the Problem of God, The Problem of God by Mark Clark. And so look into those uh, if you like reading or want to look into this stuff more. Um, one thing I find really interesting about some of these uh, authors and as people look for truth, um, there's this thing called a career 180. It's a term uh, that some people have been using or career path 180. I forget what it is. But it's where people start going down the path. They've given themselves to a career and then in that, they've just made a drastic change. So maybe a lawyer once all of a sudden became a teacher or this, you know, there's just this drastic change. And they said, the top two people who do this are atheists and scientists. The more the atheists look and try to discover, the more their eyes are open to the actual truth of the existence of God. Amen. Same thing with scientists. The more that they look, the more they begin to discover, hey, I'm actually believing in the wrong thing. There actually is a creation in a creator who loves me and play. Amen. And uh, so I just think it's so interesting. But you'll love those books, and, uh, 
and I just think it just stands up to, to just prove that what we give our lives to is true. You can give your life to following Jesus. Amen? So check this out. No other time in human history will this many people today on Easter, will this many people come together to celebrate one man? Uh, if you say, well, I don't know about fairy tales and all this kind of stuff. Well, then there's a whole lot of people being duped or deceived or tricked because in all of human history, no more people have come together than what people will come together right now to worship God, to worship Jesus, to worship the resurrected king. Uh, I think about it like this. Right now, three billion people will worship on every continent in our world. Fairy tale? I mean, how does that happen? How do these made up stories have such length and legs to them? One out of every three people on the planet, they will worship Jesus over this weekend and throughout the year. Some people say, well, what's that number in comparison? If we think everybody watches the Super Bowl, oh, everybody watches the Super Bowl. Certainly everybody watches. 118 million people watch the Super Bowl this year, but 3 billion people will worship Jesus this weekend at Easter. We, yeah, amen. We, we, like, you know, culture tries to tell us it's weak and it's a broken story and it's not a thing, has no relevance to my life now. But when you begin to look and see the depth and the weight and the gravity of the truth of this, it's pretty awesome to see that we are following the truth. Amen. It's growing faster than it ever has. You may see articles on Facebook where it says the millennials don't go to church and this, but nation or uh, not nationwide, but worldwide Christianity is growing faster than it ever has. If you were to take China, Europe, and the United States and combine them, that is the size of the church in our world. It's a huge body of believers, and you don't get this far and go this long if it's all a fairy tale. It would have been exposed, but like you and like me, we all know and have experienced and felt that this thing is a truth. It's not an April Fool's. It's not a trick that we've all been deceived. There's something to this. Amen. What's amazing about the start of all of this is it started in people groups. God chose to use people. If you go all the way with Adam and Eve, he created and he chose and then there was more. Or if you go to the New Testament, you see Jesus is here and he's telling his story. He starts with numbers like 12 and then there's 120 and then you see more people gather. And now 2,000 years later, 3 billion people aren't duped into this scheme of Christianity. I know we have fads and we go through things and we all fall into it. And it's like, I remember back in the day, it was like, if you even look at bacon, you're going to die. Now everyone's like, you better be eating bacon. It's like, don't have butter in your house. How I many you know butter gets you in trouble? Amen. Last couple. But don't have butter in your house for other reasons because surely you'll have a heart attack. If you go down the butter aisle, you're going to die. And now people are like, butter's got to be in everything. Uh, I mean, there's some people now that are like, if I don't have a drink that's pink in the morning, surely I'll die. There's all these fads that people fall into. But how many you know Jesus and the truth of the gospel and what he did for us is not a fad? It's held up through all of human history. Not only is it held up, it's at the top of all of human history. There's no more literature. There's not any, the, the most amount of books ever written are written about Jesus. Nobody has more books talking of him and speaking of his works than Jesus. The Bible is not only the best-selling book of all time, it's the best-selling book every year. Why? Because it's a truth that withholds and stands up the test of time. You've experienced it. I've experienced it. All of humanity continues to experience Jesus. Amen. He has the most amount of art or statues or architect produced in his name. 
I mean, what a dupe if we all just believed and fell into this whole thing. Or maybe throughout history, it's been proven generation after generation that this is not a fool's story, that this is truth. Amen. Jesus is the most documented human in all of human history. You look at the Bible and historians use the book of Acts to discover new land. It was so historically accurate that they used it as maps to find different places and look for different buildings. Why? Because even the writings of the New Testament hold up to all of our historical documents. What's amazing about Jesus is he never traveled more than 200 miles. But worldwide now people follow him. I mean, if we tried to show up in some other places outside of our 200 mile radius and we tried to tell them of these false stories or these fake things, it would, but his message changed the world. It's worldwide. Why? Because it's true. Literally, our human history, we split, is split by the resurrection. You know, BC and AD, before Christ, after death. Literally, it was such a truth in the world that we determined how we were going to run our calendar. Your birthday speaks of the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? No greater facts are attested to in history than the empty tomb and the resurrection of the, and the appearance of Jesus. You say, what does that mean? I'm telling you, every time you step into a church and somebody sings a song or a pastor gives a sermon or somebody writes a poem, it's historical proofs and in, in ongoing t- stories of what happened in human history. If it didn't happen, if it wasn't a truth, it would just fade out. I mean, you know, generations ago, somebody used to tell the story of grandpa. Yeah, I remember grandpa and grandpa, and then generations ever, and then after, and then after, and after time, it just goes away. A truth that is a truth, how I many you know, remains, and it stays, and it carries on. That's the power of Jesus. Uh, I thought about this, how uh, you even look at Watergate, you know, the conspiracy and the whole thing of uh, everybody says, well, you know, these Maybe the disciples and maybe his followers, they made up these stories to to make themselves look good, which is hilarious because they were then probably some of the dumbest people ever because the way they wrote the story, first of all, didn't make themselves look very good. Another thing that they did was uh, they chose for the women to be the first ones to show up on the scene. Uh, Nothing against the women. Uh, But they weren't allowed to give, they couldn't speak in court. Like, I mean, for them to be the ones who break the story wouldn't have been, you understand what I'm saying? And so if you just go, oh, they made it up, well, then they just didn't put very much thought into it. I even love when Jesus shows up after he shows himself to the people uh, for the first time after coming out of the tomb. He shows up, says that they're just gathered in a house like having lunch, right? And so they're, they're in there, and it says Jesus shows up, and he's like, hey, and he shows himself to them. Like, that's how they wrote the heroic story of Jesus presenting himself to them for the first time. Yeah, so like we were eating lunch, and then Jesus showed up, and we were like, do you want a sand? You know, right? If it was us and we were trying to be heroic and make up this incredible story, it would have been like he kicked open the two and lasers from his eye. Yeah, Chuck Norris style, yeah. But he was like, hey, guys, I'm here. Can I have a sandwich, right? So just looking at it all, this whole thing of they made it up and they did this thing. And then the other thing about it is if they all made up this story, it was this major collusion, they made up this whole thing. It's insane to think they would have been the first group ever to believe and bring that lie all the way to their own graves. They never changed their mind. They never changed their story. After the appearance of Jesus, after the resurrection, they all lived martyr lives unto death. Why? Because it happened and it was true. Amen. You look at Watergate. These guys tried to keep alive for a couple weeks, and as soon as pressure came on, they all started selling out. Human history, for those guys to hold that lie together would have been an incredible feat. 
but it actually happened and they believed it. And that's why they went to their grave for it. Amen. We have physical evidence, the empty tomb. There was never a body. If you think about it like this, the Roman empire and the controversy surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus. Imagine in our time, if, if there's all the drama of, should we crucify him? Should we, shouldn't we? And then they decided to, and then the, the word gets out that days later, he's out of the tomb. How many know that Roman Empire would do all that they could to make sure they figured out where that body was? Imagine in our time, if we sent somebody to be crucified and days later that person is gone, you would have every strategic intelligence trying to find that body. You know why they couldn't find that body? Because it was resurrected. Because he, well, first of all, showed himself and then ascended into heaven. What I'm trying to say is, is the reason it's true is because it happened. Even the Roman Empire couldn't change the story. Why? Because it happened. Just like the scripture said it happened. Amen? The eyewitnesses are enough for in court, just the people who gave testimony of eyewitness of Jesus. Those writings and those documents and those eyewitness accounts are enough in a modern courtroom to prove that it happened. Just by the amount of witnesses that came and said, yeah, we saw Jesus after, we saw Jesus after. Because it happened, just as he said. Do you know, if you look at our writings, people say, I can't believe the New Testament. It was wrote over, written over this many amount of years. And this. But our historical documents that literally have been kept and proven and preserved, what we have is more grounded and has more depth than what we even teach in our public schools. Uh, our New Testament documents have more depth in them than the stories that we have of Caesar invading Britain. But yet we teach that in a public school as a truth. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? We have a lot to stand on because it's a truth. Uh, if you just look at the prophecies of the Old Testament, uh, these should inspire and encourage you. Uh, in 450 BC, so before Christ, uh, there was these prophecies given by the Old Testament prophets. And they were foretellings of Jesus and what it would be when he would come and the things that would take place. And of course, they're crazy. It's not like, oh, there's going to be a man who steps one foot in front of the other, puts on pants two feet at a time. You know what I mean? Like, these are crazy things that they foretell. And so some of them are like this. When they said he'd be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, when they said he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, when he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver uh, in his persecution, he'd be spat on and struck. Uh, when they said that uh, he'd be pierced through his hands and feet or that the soldiers would gamble for his clothing or, a buried, or he'd be put in a buried rich man's tomb, uh, even the idea that he'd be resurrected, all of these foretelling prophecies, 450 years before Jesus even gets on the scene. What's incredible about these is they all came true and historians back it up. They back it up that somebody that they have teachings and writings before Jesus, they have scrolls, they have things that are proven that all of these were prophesied before and came true after. Amen. Let's mess with this a little bit. So if you take 60 of the prophecies that were given and you take 60 of them, which have 270 ramifications into the New Testament. So just the odds of this, if you were an odds person, this is what you'd have to do. So 60 of these with 270 New Testament ramifications, uh, here's what you would have to do. You would have to go to Texas. Some of you may have heard this before, but you'd have to go to the state of Texas and you'd have to take silver dollar coins and you'd have to stack them two feet deep over the entire state of Texas. And then you would pick somebody and you would have that person you would take one of the coins, you would put an X on it, you would throw it back in the pile, you would rearrange, you'd mess it all back up, you'd shuffle it all up, and you would take a person, and that person would have one chance, 
one chance in the entire state of Texas, two feet deep silver dollars, they would have one chance to find that coin. And that's the probability of all of those prophecies coming true. And they did. And and history backs it up. It's not a fool's story. It's a proven story. And it takes faith to believe either way. Uh, And so I would say it like this. It takes faith to believe either way. (laughs) However you believe about creation, maybe you're a big bang person, maybe you're an evolution person. But can I tell you, there's not that much fact backing up. There's not that much fact backing up big bang or evolution. Do you understand what I'm trying to say today? It's so proven. It's so truthful. Some say the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem is the most improbable thing to happen to human history. The fact where they say King Herod was about to kill all the boys and the fact that the virgin birth went from where they were to Bethlehem and it was born in a manger and all of things that had happened at that exact time around all of that for that to take place is one of the most improbable things of its time to happen. And it happened. In Bethlehem, there's a birth record of Jesus of Nazareth. It happened. Are you with me? These aren't things that we're hopefully believing about. These are things that happened and are recorded. Um, So you have a belief system. And what I'm going to kind of get to a little bit away from the facts and in the next 15 minutes, what I want to transition from is we hear the facts. We hear the stories. You sit here and you say, okay, if I try to believe the Bible is true, what does it mean for me? How does it help make all of this make sense? And what I want to do is I want to try to draw what life looks like not believing in God and believing in God. And now I know you're sitting here right now going, oh, great, he's going to tell us about hell. I'll take hell out of it. We won't even discuss hell today. You're making a decision about life with God who created you and loves you and has a plan for you and an eternal purpose for you or no God. We evolved or we banged here or however we got here. Remember, it takes faith to believe both. It takes some level of faith to believe both. You either believe that we were just floating around cosmic, some kind of thing, and then we were here, or you believe that there's a God who created it, our existence into being. It takes faith for both. Are you with me? So then that means this. Everyone has a belief system. You're here on earth, because you're here. I can see you. Amen. <laughs> I was going to say something, but I'm going to be nice. Yeah, okay, Brad. Uh, but, you're, but you're here. So newsflash, you're here. And you have a belief system because you're here. It's happening. So you believe something. And it takes faith to believe whatever you're believing. And so what I would say to you is this. Everyone has a belief system. There's a story of a surgeon. Uh, he was the chief of surgery, so he was overseeing the operating room. And then there was another surgeon who works under him. And the one surgeon was a Christian and was faith-filled and would pray with patients and would try to speak to them of hope and tell them of a future. And then the chief of surgery wasn't. He was atheist or agnostic, and he didn't believe. And, and so he once went to the surgeon and said, listen, you can't bring your belief system into the operating room. I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to see it. You, what you're using your faith for, what you believe in, your faith and your belief system, it's not allowed in my operating room. And so later in the story, Someone's on the table who is suffering from cancer and trying to go through a procedure, and that person ends up dying on the table. And the doctor says, well, the chief of surgery, the person who said we can't have faith in the, in the operating room says, well, here's the thing. At least this person's not suffering anymore. At least this person's not suffering anymore. And then the Christian says, well, hold on. I thought you said we can't have a belief system in the operating room because that's that person's belief system, that there is nothing after life. Isn't it interesting that we say, oh, no, no, only Christians have belief systems. Only that kind of religion has a belief system. Everybody has a belief system. 
So what I'm here to ask you about is how does your belief system work? How does it work in your life? What does it do for you? What does it create in you? What, what kind of life does it make for you? Because I believe this. I believe that there is such a thing as a correct worldview, meaning that you're here and you exist and there's a proper way to do it. You're here, you exist. I believe you've been created, put here, made by God for a reason. But I also believe that here on earth, there is such thing as a proper worldview or a way of doing things. The biblical term for us would be God created laws and principles. And there's a way that we abide in those. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I've lost you already, you're going to have to buy the books. But there's a correct worldview. There's a correct order to the way which we are living because God created you and he wired you and he made you a certain way to exist in the way that he created this world. Do I still have you? Are you with me? Okay. Psychologists are starting to prove this idea. They're starting to say that they understand that human beings have four major longings that they care to know about. The first one is origin. Where did I come from? Where in the world did I come from? How did I get here? It's a longing of the human heart to know how in the world did I get here? Now, some could believe it was Big Bang or you evolved over time and it was just time, matter, chance, space, and then now you're here and that's your origin. You could use your faith to believe that. Or you could believe that you're here because God, a creator, put you here because he wanted you here because he wants to be with you. Do you understand? So that's a big one. You were created. I believe you were created. You have a soul. You have a purpose. Darwin, who is our evolutionist, he wrote a book in 1859. 1859, I said. He wrote this book about evolution in 1859. Two chapters of his book are doubting his own theory. He also said if there's no major development about evolution in the next several years, he said we should scrap the whole thing. I'm here to tell you that science has made little conversations and had little ideas and said little things about how some things have somewhat maybe possibly could have evolved, but there's been no major leap like, like said in this book, like Darwin said. And so even by his own theory, he would say, hey, if we can't prove it here shortly, then we need to just scrap the whole thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we got to be able to, 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 to prove. He's saying there's, there's just no, nothing to and so evolution and, and origin, how do we get here? We believe God put us here. Number two question the psychologists say is a major thing in your being is why am I here? How did I get here and why am I here? You want to know for us, one of the things that like hurts you on the inside the most or one of the things that makes you go, oh, the most is when you look back on your life, this idea of feeling like we're getting old or time is what? Passing us by. This feeling that we're what? Wasting time. You look back at a picture of your kids and you're like, oh, what have I done with those years? I can't believe that. And, right? And you look back and there's this thing on the inside of you that goes, oh, wasting time doesn't feel good. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Because you weren't created to waste time. You were created to worship God. You were created to further his kingdom and bring glory to him. Amen. So this idea of like, oh, no, this, this uh, you know, you were just here and you were banged together and molecules and all this stuff. And now you're just here. Now just run out the clock and waste time. It doesn't feel right because it's not right because God didn't create you that way. There's a perfect worldview and God put laws and principles in place and being people who just go through the motions are not it. Amen. Number three, morality. The number three thing in our, in our heart, we have this longing, this desire to understand is morality. What is good and what is evil and how do I define it? What is right? What is wrong? What's a good choice? What's a bad choice? What can I do? What can I not do? We're always going through that. Uh, there's this new flashy term everybody uses. It's called subjective morality. 
So if we believe God created a perfect worldview and a perfect structure with laws and principles, and then he has called us to abide in that, then somebody would say, oh, no, subjective morality, you get to choose what's good for you. And you, there is no rule. There is no absolute truth. That's the hot word, right? Absolute truth, which is defining what I'm talking about, God's perfect worldview. If there is none of that, if there is none of that, and it's subjective morality, you get to choose whatever you want. Everybody needs to stop judging each other. We're going to leave it up to one another. Everybody gets to choose subjective morality. We can't tell you what to be or how to be. There is no perfect worldview. The problem with that is you don't even agree with that. Even if you thought it sounded nice, yeah, we shouldn't tell them how to live. We shouldn't. We should let everybody make their own decision. The problem with subjective morality is you really don't believe it at the end of the day. That's why at the mall you lock your car doors. That's why at night you lock your front door because you don't trust that everybody's going to make the right subjective morality decision. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, one other layer of that is we say, oh, that sounds kind of stupid. Uh, you're talking about something bigger. Uh, we're talking about a big picture of subjective morality. There's no way that a whole people group could be duped uh, into believing something that's obviously wrong. There's no way people would follow somebody into something really heinous and evil and whatever. And then I would object, and so would people in this book. They would say, well, then what about Hitler? How did such large people groups decide that their subjective morality decision, that it was okay to kill? Are you with me? There has to be an absolute truth that we commit our lives to because we believe we were created with a purpose on purpose. Amen. And then the last one is destiny. The four things in there is destiny. What happens when I die? And did you know this, that there is no other religion in this world that can answer all four of those internal heart cries? It's because you were created by God with a perfect laws and principles that he put in place for us to live in and abide in actually more as a protection, not a hindrance. Amen. And other religions can't answer all of those in a life giving way. So it all comes down to the cross. It all comes down to the empty tomb, the resurrected God who provided everything for us. A life without a resurrected king is no life. There's no depth to it. There's no truth if we don't believe the message of Easter. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 16, Paul talks about this. He says, if corpses can't be raised, this is the message version, then Christ wasn't because he was indeed dead. Now, actually, you got to remember, this is him writing after the resurrection, and people had already seen Jesus alive. Up to 500 people had already seen him. So this isn't like a, he is, he isn't, like, no, it's happening. They're like exchanging letters about it while it happened. Because he was indeed dead, and if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. Same thing could be said about our lives. If this thing isn't true and Christ isn't raised, then all we're doing is wandering about in the dark, lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we got out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. So he's saying if all you did is got around this guy to hear Bible stories and not believe in the power of the resurrection, you're a pretty sorry lot. Amen. But the truth is, Christ has been raised up for the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave their cemeteries. Somebody say amen. Because it happened and it's true. And it means a lot for us. But if it didn't happen and it's not true and there is no God and he didn't create us and we have no purpose, then let me paint a little picture of what that world looks like. 
for the next five minutes, here's what you would experience is if there is no God, there is no resurrection. This is all not true. And we have no evidence. Here's a world. If we're using our faith to believe and know God, here's what you would experience. The first thing you would experience is no hope because no one would ever be able to comfort you that there's anything better than what you see in front of you. As a matter of fact, if you were just banged here and put together and molecules and it all came together and it was just this, you have no reason for being here. You don't have an eternal purpose. You don't have an earthly purpose. You just are here by happenstance. You're just put together. You're just existing. So you certainly have no hope for anything else. No one could ever comfort you. Oh, you lived your life with your family and grandma's passed on. And one day you're going to be able to see her again. You have no one day to see her again because it all didn't matter because you have no hope because there is no God. If you want to put your faith in believing there is no God and there was no creation, that's fine. But this is what your life is beginning to look like. Point number two. There is no meaning if we weren't created. If there wasn't an eternal God who put together a world and spoke it into existence, he made your earth spin 67,000 miles per hour. It's happening right now. It's also the perfect distance from the sun so that you don't freeze, so that you don't burn. Everything is put in place so that we can breathe right, walk right, gravity, all the things that we need are in perfect place. Why? Because God created you. He put you in place. But if he didn't, if we weren't created, then your life has no meaning. If you just bang together and it all just randomly formed, then everything you do in your life doesn't matter. It all is unto nothing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your work is meaningless. Your portfolio you're building is meaningless. Your education, your skills, everything you're doing is meaningless. Solomon actually says this in the book of Ecclesiastes. He writes this book in the Bible where he talks on and on about what it looks like to chase just after meaningless things. He gives these writings about how he chased after women and wine and wealth. And he was the richest guy in scripture at this time. He does all of these things and he boils it down to this one idea. He said, it's all useless. It's all worthless. If there is no God, if there is no creator, if all it is is to just go through these things, he said, life is basically throw pillows. It's on the bed, off the bed, but don't use them. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like all for nothing. No, you don't know what throw pillows are? First service knew it, throw pillows. But medical breakthrough, the art we create, the music we write, the inventions we put together, all of those things mean nothing if there is no God, there is no creator, there is no purpose. One of those four things that our heart longs for. If there is none of those things, then it's meaningless. Leo Tolstoy said this, the author of War and Peace. He said, my question, which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of question. It was, what will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Like, what's the purpose of it all? He's saying, if there is no God, if there is no creator, if there is no purpose, if we're not living unto anything, then why do we do anything? Amen. Paul actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians as he continues on in this letter. 1 Corinthians 32. He says, and why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? Speaking of ministry. I look death in the face practically every day that I live. That's, I mean, really, that's ministry, just so you know. <laughs> do you think I do this? Do you think I'd do this if I wasn't convinced of your resurrection and mine as guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah? Do you think I was just trying to act heroic when I fought the wild beast of Ephesus, hoping it wouldn't be the end of me? Not on your life. It's resurrection, resurrection, always resurrection that undergirds what I do, the way I live. If there's no resurrection, then we eat, drink, and the next day we die. Because it's all for nothing. 
If there's no resurrection, if there is no God, if there is no eternal purpose, if this all isn't true, then what are we doing with it all? And go ahead, choose your faith to believe. There is no God, there is no purpose, there is no... You can choose, but it's not going to meet the needs the way that you were created to live. I'm, I'm drawing a very ugly... And people are like, I don't know why we came here today, <laughs> Easter. I thought we were going to get the tomb and the... I told you we should have went to Engedi. <laughs> Pastor Brian, he's probably doing a better job. Uh, so that's the deal. I mean, you take God out of it, and what, I mean, what, it just, it falls apart. Number three, another thing that's kind of sad to look at, if you take God out of it, and we just kind of banged here, or we evolved here, and it just kind of all came together, then the truth is there's no such thing as you. You don't have a soul. You don't have a personality. You're just a thing that came together and is like functioning in this thing that it randomly got put here. So when you think about it at its depth, this reward that you feel when you look at your kids and you say, my kids, and I love my kids, they're not your kids. They're just a product of a thing that came together that happened as a thing. But remember, it means nothing because there is a, no God and it works unto nothing. Or it all matters and legacy matters to God. That's why he could look and say after they were dead, he could say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because he didn't just bang together. God put it all together because it's all an internal legacy that works under the glory of him. Amen. Because your kids matter. Because God created you and has legacy for you. And it all works unto eternity. Amen. And then my last point, I'll close with this, is really this. Your deepest longing desires would make no sense if there was no God. What's interesting, we all just banged here. Remember, we all evolved or we all just kind of slapped together and all just here. Just remember, if that happened, okay then we all wouldn't share the same, like how, how do you explain the desire for justice? How do you explain how we all on the inside of us pull toward the same pole? We want world peace. We wanna see people loved and we wanna see forgiveness in this world, unity. Are you with me? How did that get there? If there is no God, none of that matters because actually evolution would be the strong survive. And so if you believe that we just banged here and it's better and the stronger survive, then your actual desire wouldn't be about peace and restoration and love and humanity. It would just be consume the other, which is really weird then because if all of it and none of it matters and there is no God and there is no perfect world, none of that, then why would we care for the elderly? As they got sick and got old, since it's just the strong survive, shouldn't we move them out of the way? Right? It's nasty. Like, well, he is really terrible today on Easter. <laughs> My notes say, like, killing old people. <laughs> but, but think about those things. If I were to tell you right here this morning, yeah, the other day I was walking, I dropped a glass and it broke on the ground. Glass shattered everywhere. You'd be like, okay. But if I were to get out a list of news articles about child abuse and I started reading the detail of this great child abuse, how come we'd all get sick to the stomach? Why would that happen? I'll tell you why it's happened, because you were created and something was placed on the inside of you and you were wired to be somebody who believes for more and pulls toward more. Amen? I'll say it like this. Creation in the universe remembers what it was like before the fall of man. The scripture says it like this in Haggai chapter 2. Jesus is the desire of all nations. We're all wired that way because you were created that way to live in the way that God created us to live for a bigger purpose. Amen? It's all true and it all works together. 
Jesus answers all four of those things. Origin, where did I come from? God created you and he loves you and he's got a great plan for you. Number two, meaning, why am I here? Because God loves you and he created you and he's got a plan for you and it's all to be with him and live with him unto the glory of him. Morality, what is good and evil and, and how can we decide? Well, God gives us his word and absolute truth and he put laws and principles in motion that can show you what morality and justice looks like. And what about destiny? Well, we know there's heaven. God created an eternal home for us to be with him. Amen. It's not a full story. It's not a fairy tale. It's a very much truth. And I would encourage you to think on these thoughts. You may have heard this said, if I'm wrong about God, then I've wasted my life. But if a non-believer or an atheist is wrong about God, they've wasted their eternity. I would rather live my life believing there is a God and find out that there isn't than live my life believing there isn't a God and find out that there is. It takes faith to believe whatever you want to believe. But my encouragement to you is put your hope in God. It's the old song, put your hope in Jesus in the cross and all that he did for you, amen? Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell. Saved from eternal damnation. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here this morning and you may have heard this message or you had a prompting or a nudge before you came here, but there's just something working on the inside of you that's like, I need to put my hope in God. You have a belief system right now, but is it the right one? So if you're here today and you say, oh man, I want what Romans was talking about. I want to put my faith and trust in God. I want to believe him as my savior, as, as somebody I can surrender and give my life to. All of us together. We're going to boldly proclaim our hope in Jesus. So all of us together repeat these words. Say, God, today I choose you as my Lord and savior. I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of all of my sins. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. Help me to walk with you all the days of my life. Amen. Everybody give it up for them who prayed that prayer. Well done.